2 Corinthians part 14, or in chapter 11, when you look at a title like that, you're probably thinking that I, when I was walking up here, I thought that, well, this may not be a fun sermon. Uh, Paul's suffering as an apostle. And I guess my main goal is not to have fun, although it's close second. Uh, I think this will be a fun sermon. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Suffering obviously is not fun, but I think there's more to it than that as we look into this. We've just come off of Paul. A lot of this, as you see, it, it's kind of odd letter in a lot of ways because it's, it's Paul trying to uh, tell these Corinthians that he's a really an apostle. Um, and he's going to do that some today. So this is look at these first three verses here. I repeat, so obviously he's every, always said this, let no one think me foolish, but even if, I, if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What am I saying with this boastful confidence? I say, not as the Lord, Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast so he's a fool. Now, that's not something you want to be, right? A fool. Uh, you know, in the Bible, uh, fool is really one of the worst words you can call somebody, especially in the New Testament. You see this in the Sermon on the Mount, because a fool says in his heart there is no God. So when he's talking about fool, he's talking about theological things, doctrinal things, and we'll get into that in a little bit. So he didn't believe himself to be a fool, but he knew that following divine wisdom made him appear foolish to many. I mean, that's out there today. If you tell somebody, you know, I believe in Jesus and I believe that because he sacrificed himself and offered me a pardon that since I accepted that, I do not have to live a life of eternal punishment. I get to live a life of eternal bliss with God and others who believe. Now, that, that's the gospel. That's good. But they may think you're a fool for doing that. No, that's okay. If, you want, if you're going to be a fool, that's the kind of fool to be. And that's Paul. Paul wants to be that kind of fool. Wasn't there a song? I care who sung that. What kind of fool am I? I'm the only one that's ever heard that. So, all right, maybe this won't be a fun sermon. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> you know, he, he's doing this, what we call ad hominem argumentation. It just means to the man. He's, he's saying, okay, you think you guys are important. Look what I can do. You know, you can do 10 push-ups. I can do 12. You know, you know, I don't know if I could. Maybe he, he could. But I think you, you look at this idea. He's boasting about things that are not boastworthy and answering fools according to their folly. This, is, this comes from Proverbs. Um, this is one of the most interesting verses out there, I think, because it helps us a little bit with what Proverbs are for, and it helps us try to understand how, to, how we should interpret the Bible because the Bible is written in different uh, forms, different, different types of literature. Proverbs are proverbs, psalms are usually prayers and poetry. There's a lot of narrative, there's parables, there's all kinds, there's apocalyptic literature. You gotta kinda know what you're getting into before you understand, because look at this, these, these two verses. You've heard people say the Bible contradicts itself. Well, you could use these two verses if you wanted. I'll show you how it's not that way. But look at these two. Verse four, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. The next verse, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Is that contradictory? Am I supposed to answer a fool or not answer a fool? And I don't know what's going on, so maybe I am one. But really what's going on here, this is a proverb. These are not doctrines of thou shalt not ever do this or thou shalt always do this. How do we know when to answer a fool according to his folly and when to not answer a fool? Wisdom. That's why these are called wisdom books. You just have to try to figure out when is this good? 
and you have to think about it. What if I answer, I don't answer the fool, the first one, which probably is your normal way of going because it's first. Um, because you'll end up being foolish like him. That's the problem. And you have to decide. Now, if I say this, if I confront this person with this foolishness, is this going to just get me into an argument and make it worse? Um, you're going to have to figure that out on your own. Or maybe ask some advice if you have time. But when should I say something? Well, then if the person, it might help them not be wise in their own eyes. So you have to know what type of literature you're reading. Because, yeah, you could. this looks like a contradiction, but it's really not. Because you have to understand where it's coming from. Now, I didn't put this in the, in the, in the sermon uh, outline, and it just came to me. But I think it'd be good to, to put this out there for you because of what we said in the, in the children's sermon. We believe that the Bible is inerrant and all it teaches should be followed and all that it instructs. You know, that's in our statement of faith. Because um, we have, there's three things about the Bible that we believe. There's more than that, that the main things. And this is easy, should be easy, especially for guys, uh, because the acronym is PVC. And we've all used PVC, right? This thing on? No, I'm getting some, yeah. yeah. So the first one is we believe that the, word, the Bible is plenary, that's the P, and it just means all of it's true, and it all works together. Uh, Ruth is true, Jude is true, Matthew is true, Hebrews is true, Second Corinthians is true, and they all work together. It's not like some are more true than others. That's our belief. You don't have to believe that, but that's what we believe. And we have good reasons for that. That's the, the plan. The other one is verbal. You know, we try to figure out how did, you know, I don't know if you do that, but how did Moses write this stuff, you know, the first five books? Or how did, what was going on with Paul when he wrote Second Corinthians that we see as inspired? Don't worry about that so much. That's the next one, but we'll talk about that. And it's really, we believe the words are inspired. God saw to it that we have the words that we need. How they got there, we're not really told completely. I mean, what was it kind of like Paul gets his pen and then he kind of sits there and he goes, I don't know. Or is he just writing, just watching the game and kind of, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't matter because we believe the words are inspired, not how the words got there. That's the verbal part. The last one's kind of a big word, it's the C part. It's confluent. It means that both the Holy Spirit and the person work together for this to happen. We don't believe in dictation theory, which is what that would be. You know, that's the, you understand the, right? I mean, it's a pretty technical term, I know, but you got it. I mean, where you're just, where the Holy Spirit just takes over, so it could be a monkey. I don't know why monkey's in my mind. That was that binder you had up here. That's it. You did, you planted that on purpose. Um, but, but yeah, a monkey could do it then, right? If it's just, you could have a parrot, whatever. Uh, anything that could talk, a donkey for a few minutes. Um, we believe that God worked with those people in such a way that he, they use their free will, but he knows what they're going to do, so this comes out to be verbal plenary. I don't know if that helps you. Just remember PVC, and then you'll forget, and you'll just text me, and I'll tell you what the words are. Maybe one of the days we'll put it in an outline for you. So when we look at this, this we believe this is all true, but again, you have to look at how it's used. So when, he, when Paul is saying, he obviously is doing the second verse here. He's answering these fools according to their folly. That's why he wrote the letter, uh, by wisdom and by inspiration in this case. So even though he's, he's hesitant to talk as a fool, his reluctance is partially overcome when he recalls that his converts, these people he's writing to, have grown accustomed to their leader's self-advertisement. These, these people are leading them astray. 
the leadership in Corinth is a problem and it needs to be figured out. So that's why he's writing this stuff. So let's move on and see how he does this. Go through verse 21. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. That's kind of sarcastic. For you bear if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. So this is very sarcastic. Apparently, these leaders, he called them super apostles in other places, were not really being very nice to the flock. Uh, They were kind of fleecing the flock. And his real attitude to him that is boasting really comes down, and he's going to say, it's all summed up in Philippians 3. It's a great verse. We'll look at it. But compare it, because he's comparing this, getting all these things. Look at these things he says. They make you slaves. They devour you. They take advantage of you. These are the leaders. Um, they put on airs. They strike you in the face. I don't know if that's a discipline or just metaphoric. But, uh, you know, your, your pastor, your, your staff should not make slaves of you. You know, I can ask you to wash my car, but you don't have to. You know, I, I'm pretty good at washing my car myself. I mean, you just go up there, you put in your car, you hit the button, go through, it's washed. How hard is it? I've heard there's other ways, but that is so easy, you know, right? But, but again, you could, again, we had that last week. Are your, it, are your leaders humble in some way? Um, and it doesn't take long for that to show itself. So he says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. We had this a few weeks ago. But here's this Philippians 3 verse. I think it's very good. Indeed, I count, this is Paul talking, I count everything as loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. It's such a cool verse. Um, That's the main thing. We used to say this in Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and you get it once you understand it. But, you know, the whole idea was that the main thing is following Jesus. That's what this verse says. And we would say this to each other. And again, you had a little bit of insider stuff, but you got to say, never forget that the main thing is the main thing. And that makes no sense unless you understand what the main thing is. But this is the verse we use. But look at this. Rubbish. He uses the word rubbish. You know, the, the idea here is that compared with knowing the Messiah, Yeshua, you know, as, which is the way Paul would have said it, as his Lord, he regards all such boasts as garbage. None of that matters. And this word rubbish, um, the Greek word can be used in a lot of different ways. Garbage. I don't know, maybe if you have a different translation. It, really, it's also used for, well, remember that monkey? We're doing the monkey. We might as well keep the monkey going. The monkey was on my shoulder, and the monkey maybe had some, uh, I'll say, I don't know, Mexican food, like refried beans. What's going to eventually that monkey's going to do? That's what this word means, too. We'll say Scat. You like scat, look scat up, yeah. I don't think we can do the P word on, on sermons, so we'll just use scat. Or dung, dung would work, right? I mean, this is a really strong, if you were reading this as a Greek, you would, this is really strong. Everything else is just a bunch of uh, rubbish. Yeah, so that, it's a cool verse. And that's the key here. Because, again, if you, if you, whether you're working full-time as a Christ, you know, Christian leader or you're, whatever it is you're in, this is the main thing, and everything else ultimately goes away because that's all you have left when you, when you die anyway, right? So these descriptions, they, they sum up Paul's characterization of the efforts of these false apostles. He's trying to get this. And the thing is, we think, well, why couldn't they figure this out? How, how dull are these people? 
Well, on the surface, they probably had credible ministries. They masqueraded as blessings to the church. We see that all over the place, don't we? Yet their false teaching actually made their ministries abusive. Maybe not, they weren't maybe, I don't know if strike in the face means they actually was smacking people, but it strikes them in the face theologically. We have that, and I don't know what people's motives are. We've talked about this. You've got all kinds of ministries, especially in America, that are just trying to get your money, that are trying to give you false teaching. And I don't know what their motives are. Maybe they're just dull, and they think this is true. Or maybe they found this as a good way to make a living. I don't know. Um, how would we know? Remember the children's sermon. In fact, if you remember the children's sermon, you'd probably be good. We're thinking about shortening the worship services and just doing the children's sermon only because people say that. I get that like on an average day, I'll get like two, that was a good sermons and six. That was a really good children's sermon. And I'm like, so what the heck are you listening to? You know, and they should have something to do with each other. We we're hoping, but uh, but what is he doing? He's trying to encourage the Corinthian Christians. He's trying to get them to come to their senses. Uh, they had acted foolishly by accepting these false apostles and their leaders. And it's easy to do. It's usually subtle. We talked about that last week. Temptation is not tempting if you can see it as false when it starts. When that, anybody remember that from last week with the name of the, the Hebrew name of the serpent dragon thing? Is? Nakesh. Isn't that cool? Let's all say it. No, we don't have to do that. But Nakesh, it's just a cool word. It's the idea of he's the deceiver. But look how subtle that is in the garden. You know, oh, this is good. What's the big deal? What's the problem? It's no, who's going to get hurt? You know, I mean, there's so many things we do that with. And this is how you get sucked in as you get away from the truth. So let's uh, read the rest of this and then go through it. Uh, he's talking about his suffering, and it's interesting what he suffered. First of all, he starts out with some of this talking about himself and about he's just as qualified as they are. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's not California or Colorado stone. That's the actual stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from all these other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So who is weak? Am I not weak? And who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? That's a, quite a list, isn't it? Uh, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So he begins by saying that he has all the ethnic background comparable to his opponents. He was a Hebrew, he was an Israelite, he was descendant of Abraham. So he was an heir of the grace of God. He was, the, he was promised by the patriarch Abraham that this was going to happen. He wasn't adopted into Abraham's family. He was part of Abraham's family, if you want to read about how we get adopted. Because, well, is there any ethnic Jews here? And I don't mean that as flippant as it sounds. I mean, maybe you are. Anybody spit in the cup and find out they were Jewish? 
Yeah, I spit in the cup. I'm not Jewish, but not that I was looking for that. I was kind of looking for the Native American thing so you can get some of that casino money, but oh well, didn't get any of that either. <laughs> That's the way it goes. But again, Gentile believers are grafted in. You get that idea uh, into the vine. You see that in Romans also, but Ephesians 2, if you want to read that. And yes, I would just very much enjoy a text that told me you read that. Uh, I'm getting some of those. People are listening. Got to watch what I say. Uh, so from Paul's point of view, neither Jew nor Gentile was superior in Christ. We're both one in Christ Jesus. But in the outlook of his opponents, seems to matter. So he's lifting this up. You think this is important? This is important. He responds that he passed all their ethnic criteria and then some. And then you get this list, this list of things that happened to him. It's one sentence in Greek. Lots of stuff here. It lines up with his view that lowliness and weakness as seen in Christian service, provides the only incontestable vindication of apostleship. You think about that. You think about the 12 apostles. You know, you've got, we don't know all of this. James gets, James, the brother of John, gets uh, killed by Herod uh, about 10 years after the crucifixion. Um, but other than that, we really don't have anything overt about the other 11 in the Bible, but if you look at Christian tradition, and you can get this online, I think there's books out there that says how they all died. Um, and th I think this is pretty credible history. Uh, it's kind of like the prophets in the Old Testament. You know, you always thought, well, it'd be kind of cool to be a prophet. They're floating around all over today. Uh, most of them uh, can't, couldn't prophesy what you're going to have for lunch, but still, they're out there. Um, but a prophet in its real sense, you, th not a, you don't want to be a prophet. Jeremiah, would you like to be Jeremiah? Why do they call him the weeping prophet? Is it because he just was kind of sensitive? Yeah, he got, man, he and Paul were very much, he was thrown into cisterns. You know, he was the one that came and said, you guys just need to quit. This is over. Yahweh is judging you. Babylon is covenanting. They're his instruments. Nebuchadnezzar is going to wipe you out. Just do what they say, and you won't get hurt as bad. And they didn't listen, so they threw him into different places and need to have other false prophets to smike him in the face because, no, these prophets would say, no, it's going to be okay. You know, you think about that if you get these prophets on television. Do they ever tell you things are going to get worse? It's like, you know, if you follow Jesus, it's going to get a lot worse. Give money. No, it's if you follow Jesus, give money, you'll get more money. That's not, well, that sells, but that's, is that true? Um, so you, you look at this, the pro and the apostles kind of are like the prophets in that way. It's like, if, I don't think I'd want to be an apostle unless I was told to be one. Because it, it's, it's a, they really went through some tough times. We see this in Acts, you know, Peter's in jail, John's in jail, all God's children in jail. You know, it's kind of that idea, you know, and you get, you can read through that. We think Peter and Paul were executed under Nero in 67, 68 AD. Uh, Thomas executed, Andrew flayed, uh, and Peter, we think, was executed. They, this is the tradition that he was going to be crucified, and he didn't think being crucified was... Uh, his Lord got crucified, so he didn't think that was honorable for him. So he had him crucify him upside down, which I don't even know how that would work as far as how that would feel. Um, but again, you know, this is the part of this, the sermon that probably isn't as fun, right? Um, but think about it in your own life right now. Are you told to suffer at this level? You know, no, no, I don't seek this. 
Um, and don't, I don't think you have to sit there and, and think, well, if I, oh man, I'm just not getting persecuted enough. I must not be faithful. Uh, that, no, none of these guys went after this, and you're not an apostle. Um, yeah, there'll be times. I, if it comes, it comes. Nowhere in the Bible it says, seek suffering and God likes you better. No. Try to follow the truth, live the truth, and there may be times when it, and just deal with it when it comes. We have that in, in parts of our world now, right? There are parts of our world, if you're a Christian, it's, you better not tell anybody. Well, if nothing else, maybe this sermon will help us pray for those people. I think I told this story before, but we had some people from uh, Sudan when I was in seminary. It's been 20 years ago, and they were going through some persecution then. They, they still are now. But I remember when we asked them what they want us to pray for, what would, I knew exactly what I would want to pray for. Please, Lord, help the suffering stop. But they asked, their, their prayer, first prayer was, as we suffer, may it give glory to Christ and have more people come to him. I'm like, okay, I'm not that far yet. Just live in a different culture, I guess. But, but, but we have to think about that. So when you get into some of these exact things, he's, he has this 40 lashes less one. You, you might have heard this. What the heck is this? Well, it's a phrase in Jewish law in the, what we call the oral Torah. So it's not written down in the Bible, but it's, it's maybe written down after that. For certain offenses, the oral Torah pre- prescribes 40 lashes. But the practice was to give 39, allowing a margin for, one, for error for counting. Uh, lest the prescribed punishment be unjustly exceeded, which would be far worse than meeting. Uh, so if you go 41, you get in trouble. You know, that's kind of, it seemed like, you know, you could have somebody, you know, I don't know. But, but this is the way it was. That's why this would have been a phrase everybody would have known. And then you get three times I was beaten with rods. This, this is not in Jewish law. We don't pro- get this, but this is a Roman punishment. Uh, which was the Corinthians would have been f- familiar with because Corinth was a Roman city. So he didn't need to say by the Romans. Everybody knew this was by the Romans. Uh, Gentiles were capable of, you know, hard-heartedness too. So he got all that stuff. Um, and he's kind of boasting about it now, isn't he? You know, we, you know, guys do that too, you know, especially back at the war time. It's like, yeah, I got this when I got hit by the submarine. And, you, got, you know, we do that too. It's kind of a, you know, war end. This is kind of what he's doing here for Christ, hopefully. Because the, you know, the false apostles, maybe they suffered too for their convictions. But Paul suffered even more. That was his idea. I qualify for your qualifications. He doesn't care what they think, but he does care what the Corinthian Christians are thinking of him. So he lists these series of, of events that happened to him, which we call external sufferings. Some of these we get corroborated in other places. Some of these is the only place we get. It's right here. But what's he doing this for? Why is he doing this? It sounds kind of weird to us. It's a list to illustrate that Paul is a true servant of Christ. I mean, his idea is I had all this happen. I'm still here. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you, 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 I don't know if you could do this, but kind of a, you know, a Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger way of looking at it. You know, that's all you got? You know, I don't know if that's the way he did it. Um, but it's, you know, but he, he was a true servant even more than these false teachers because even though they may have suffered, he's also got the truth. Um, but he also talks this about this, in addition to this external suffering, he talks about this inward difficulties he had. You know, in verse 29, he, he talks about, and apart from these things, there's this daily pressure on me, it's 28, of my anxiety for all the churches. He's worried about these guys, that they're falling away. And he's experiencing all this turmoil. That's why he wrote the letter in the first place. And then these last verses, which we'll kind of finish up a little bit with a little history 
He states that since he had to boast, he also wanted to boast these things that showed his weakness. And that's a hard one for us, I think, isn't it? I mean, I don't like, I guess, all things being equal, admitting that I'm weak. Uh, We always want to think, you know, we're handling it. We can do it. That you need other people. It's kind of what we talked about at at the welcome, you know, one another. It's almost like God designed it that way, that we weren't supposed to do things, either praise him and and do the good things or go through the tough things by ourselves. You know, Paul was never alone. You know, he has, even at the worst time, he he has at least least Timothy's with me. You know, isn't that interesting the way he says that? At least Timothy, because he's not by himself. There's always somebody. Luke was with him sometimes as as a one-on-one. He always knew that. So he talks about these, he's reflecting on his weakness, because what could you do? I mean, you know, I don't know how many have seen the the Passion movie that Mel Gibson did. Raise raise your hand up. Thank you. (laughs) I can't hear your head going. Some I could, but most of them I couldn't. Um, But just get an idea. You remember the beating? Now, this is Jesus. This isn't Paul. But you know how many beatings he gets? 117. This was an old, uh, if I do the math and carry the knot. Yeah, I think that's right. 39 times 3. Uh, somebody can gonculate that and see if that's right. I think that's right. Forty less one three times. That was that. There's a tradition. It's not necessarily we don't know, um, but you know, obviously Jesus was God. He could have you know he could have called down angels and all that. We realize all that, but you know, think of Paul if he's going through that. What do you do? What can you physically do? Would you feel pretty weak? Would you feel pretty? vulnerable? You know, this is what he's talking about. Sometimes you just can't do it. Well, what do you do? I suppose he prayed. You know, I always wonder, I don't know if you ever wonder this, I always wondered if, if when that happened, and maybe some of you have gone through whether, whatever it is, you know, you go through this pain and you pray. You know, I wonder if God made it some at least bearable. I mean, don't you think maybe that would be God-like? I don't know. Maybe passed out. That would probably be the best thing. Um, you know, I, I don't know. There's this, there's this one uh, story I remember reading, and it was in a kind of a book of martyrs. This was during the Bohemian Restoration. We kind of missed this. This is John Huss back in the 14th century, 1300s. And all John Huss was trying to do was to get the, the uh, uh, mass and, the, and some of the Bible into Bohemian because nobody could read this stuff. Well, the church didn't like that. Eventually, he and others, and there's one pastor that wouldn't give up and they, ex- they, they said they, they sentenced him to execution by burning. And so, and again, this is, I mean, you can take it for what it's worth, but it always was helpful to me. If it's not helpful to you, then I forget this. But, but so he gets set, and he tells his congregation that if God is making this so I can handle it, I'll lift my hand up and I'm in the middle of the fire. Kind of means you of Rakshak and Benny a little bit in Daniel, doesn't it? With the angel in there, they, you know, the fire comes. And I don't know what to do with this. I hope we never, no, none of you ever have to experience it. But he, they put the ropes on him. And so the congregation is thinking, well, how is he going to lift his hand? Well, the story goes, as the fire starts to engulf him, the ropes burn off and he lifts up his hand. You know, it's kind of cool. Maybe that's the way it works. I don't know. hope so. Hope so for me, because I've always said, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't hope it hurts. That's, I don't want the hurt. The pain is what I don't like. And it's amazing he's going through all this. So I suppose we do have those verses that say, God will never let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. I guess for us wusses that don't like pain, maybe you get a little more help. <laughs> for most of the women in here, no, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> seems to kind of go that way. Uh, maybe you, you guys can handle a little bit better than we can. But, uh, but again, I think, again, he's, he's boasting as this, but it comes down to this reflecting on his weakness. It's departing from the style of the day. I don't know if you knew that about Roman culture, but saying even humility was seen as, as sinful or, or wrong. And this is definitely different here. So he's boasting about weakness suited him better because it exalts God. That's his whole idea. We'll get this next week. You'll get this, you probably heard it, the thorn in the flesh. You can read ahead if you want, and you're welcome to text me. But, uh, but this is, this is kind of setting this up for us. But he, he talks about this time in Damascus in his life. And we kind of, you, you've heard that, you know, I'm, I think some of you here have had kind of a road Damascus, you know, a time in your life when you weren't Christian and something really cool happened and you were, and that's great. I mean, I don't know if that's the norm, who cares, right? <laughs> as long as you're a believer, I really don't care how it worked. Um, you know, what we ask here, if, you're, if you want to be a member of it, is just, where are you now? Uh, we might ask how that got there, but I don't, I mean, I guess I'm not saying I don't care, I care, but really, where are you now? I would never base my whole Christian walk on a past experience. It may, it's great. I can tell you mine. We're going to, if you want to stay tuned on Saturday, that's kind of what we're going to do at the worship service. The little worship service down at the chapel is we're going to have some songs and then I'm going to tell you my, I think, I don't know, you want my three, five, seven, or 10 minute version. We'll see how much time we have of, of convert where, where I had my kind of, it was a road to Damascus experience, you know, type of thing, not near as overt as this. Um, but you, you think about that. Um, you want to base your faith on what Jesus did, not how you appropriated it. So when you tell somebody about your faith, they walk away with Jesus and not with how you got him. I think it's cool to tell him because what are the chances they're going to get him the same way you did? Very low. Everybody's is, is unique. But that you got him. That's the key. And so this is Paul's. I think this is pretty unique, but this, you know, it, it talks about it, him coming to Damascus. You've got that in the text where, you know, Jesus appears to him. That's why we can call him an apostle. The, res, the risen Lord appeared to him, as he says in 1 Corinthians 15, as one untimely board, because he didn't do it. He wasn't standing there in the upper room with Thomas and all those guys. He wasn't there. He wasn't there when Jesus ascended into heaven. He probably never saw the empty tomb, but he got this. And as far as we know, he's the only one who got it. <laughs> and so he, can you understand why he's a little bit sensitive to making sure that he's an apostle? And when he goes to talk to the other apostles, he's not asking for their approval. Why? Because he knows this is real. And that's really what it comes down to you. You can say, somebody can say, well, that sounds weird. Maybe it was his bad pizza or whatever. Um, well, as long as you know it's real, that's really the main thing. Whether you can convince somebody else is really up to them um, and God. But what happens? He goes out, we, 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 uh, this, this verse which says, when many days have passed, scholars think this means like a couple years, three years. You can get this when you look at Galatians. So what happens to Paul? He, he gets this experience. Remember, he, he goes blind for a while. Uh, Ananias comes and gets him. He prays over him. He receives the Holy Spirit. He becomes a believer. He gets baptized. And then in, in Paul, in Galatians, we see that he goes off to over into in, the other side in Nabata and does some study in Jesus stuff for about three years. Um, one of the reasons we have seminary degrees that are three years. Uh, you know what the other one is? We think Jesus' ministry was about three years. When I was in my third year, I thought, why couldn't Jesus just done a two? 
but that's the way, it's just the pattern. Um, but he comes back to Damascus, starts preaching the gospel to the very people that he was coming to persecute when he first met Jesus. And this happens. Uh, Jews plot to kill him. Well, that didn't take long. Um, but their plot became known to Saul, at this point still called Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now, you've probably heard that. And, then, you know, and this is deeply theological, but I don't know if you knew this, but Paul was a basket case for Christ. You can always remember that, right? That's very good, very good stuff, you know. So what's he doing? Why is he doing this? He's trying to uh, illustrate how his life had radically changed. I mean, this is very radical, isn't it? This is the guy that went to Damascus to kill the very people that are letting him down in a basket right now. I mean, that's a big change. And it probably took a while for them to think, you know, this is Paul. You know, how, how, how do we trust this guy? He went from being an enemy of Christ and his followers to an ambassador and an apostle for Jesus. You know, Paul is just a great story of you never know. If you have people in your life, oh, maybe you're one of those people that think, yeah, I'm just, I, I have just lived a tough life. It's not been good. I'm not, I don't deserve it. I don't think you're worse than this guy. How could you be? I mean, is there anything worse than killing Christians? I, think, I don't think, it, I mean, in God's eyes, could it be any worse? Or think about the fact that some of these people killed Jesus. You go to Acts 5, some of the priests and the Pharisees started believing. They may have been the ones yelling at him at the cross. I don't know. If you're a young or old person and like to write, I think I'd love to read that novel. Just pick a couple people, maybe in the Bible, that are Pharisees that seem to be pretty upset at him, and write what might have happened as they worked their way into being a converted into believing Christ. And you know, that'd be a fun, you know, we don't know it, it, how that worked, but it'd be a fun read, wouldn't it? It'd be good for somebody who thought, you know, I've had that. I did, did some jail and prison ministry. You get people to say, I'm not good enough. And it's like, that's the point. You know, the thief on the cross wasn't thinking, hey, I got what I need. <laughs> he knew he wasn't good enough. The other one didn't. I realize that. But think about that. There's nothing that you could have done that the cross doesn't wash away. If you think you're so bad that God can't forgive you, then you're really limiting the power of the grace of Christ. Don't do that. And if somebody you know is doing that, don't let them. You know, it's kind of back to this life together. Do you have Jesus? Do you have That's it. How well do I do? Hopefully we trend up. I don't know. But do I want to follow Jesus? And do I? That's the main thing. You got that, the rest of it's just window dressing. You'll want to be obedient. You'll want to live life together. You'll want to praise him. You'll want to worship. You'll want to do all these things. Why? Because you want to honor him. It's part of what it is. So Paul changes, and we're going to go back and kind of end with this verse because it's one that's very helpful. It was a couple sermons ago in chapter 10. He changed the way he wages war for God. He was waging war for God, thinking God to kill these Christians because this Jesus guy is a phony. You know, now he's waging war this way. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take Every thought captive to obey Christ. This is how you wage war. This is what he's talking about. They're called false apostles because they're not giving you the truth. And if anything I say doesn't line up with this, then that's false too. Um, you, you try to do a good job, 
sometimes, you, you know, it was like that King James Version back in the Korean War where they forgot to put not in thou shalt not commit adultery. That was wrong. Thou shalt commit adultery is not that commandment. I mean, you can, you can think you're doing the right thing and not do the right thing. But think about this. Everything we think of, every action we do, do we take it captive to Christ? And you, you're going to try to do that, right? What would, you know, the old bracelets, what would Jesus do? Not a bad thing, right? And you don't have to worry about whether he's with you. That's one of the promises. That he's always, always going to be with us. So this event for him, you know, demonstrated his devoted service to Christ. It started in a basket in Damascus when they were trying to kill him. And as we read through here, it it never got better, but he's got a singular mind all the time. And for us, I think he wants to make it clear that God deserves all the praise. We might not have to, you know, get lowered in a basket to get out of Denison or whatever. Um, But, you know, what can we do for God? Uh, And if sometimes in our lives we have things that don't work out the way we want because of our own sin or because the sin of the world around us, just keep your eyes focused on Jesus like Paul did. Know the truth of his word and try to live obedient the life that he's called you to. Let us pray. Father, as we look at the whole these things that Paul endured, uh, I guess uh, my first thought is to thank you that I haven't had to go through that and, and most of us haven't, but we go through our own times of suffering in different ways, uh, the way we live our lives and the things that happen to us. May we always remember that if we have the main thing, that is the main thing. If we have your son, nothing else ultimately matters because we will live with him forever and you will always be with, we will be with us. Amen.